Welcome to the Build Up on Balls.ie in association with Labrooks. Please bet responsibly. Visit dunlui.net for further information. Welcome along to the Build Up, our podcast on Balls.ie in association with Labrooks, where we are quietly, whisper it, quietly, starting to look forward to sport again. Mick McCarthy joins me as always. My name is Mark Farley. Mick, it's, it's creeping up on us. There's horse racing now coming back. There's This week, the, uh, the one 2 is going to be La Liga because it's on this weekend. We've got Premier League back in seven days. I'm starting to get excited again, Mick. Mark, I was sitting in the sitting room last night after I did all kind of my my uh, post-baby in bed chores of making bottles and dishes and everything like that. And I normally have like just a half an hour to myself and I'd sit down on the Future Channel. And for the first time in a long time, Mark, my instinct was to go to Sky Sports News. And I think that tells you everything you need to know. Now, did I see anything of note that was in any way uh, beneficial to my life or career? Absolutely not. But my instinct was to go to Sky Sports News and to see what was happening in the world. And that just shows you sports happening. Sports almost here. There has been bits, obviously, we've been keeping an eye on, but we're almost back, you know? Yeah, but uh, it's also going to be weird is transfer, spe- transfer speculation coupled up with both fancy football and actual football happening one time. So, like, one minute we're going to be watching a Premier League match, the next minute we're going to be seeing which Serie A club is now linked with Jeff Hendrick because about half of them have been at this stage. Uh, so it's going to be mad. There's going to be so much crammed in. We've got GA kind of return to play schedule as well. They're going to have maybe those rumours as well, RT were saying today that they might have a championship structure or schedule out sooner than we think as well in the next couple of weeks. So there are definitely uh, green shoots, you might say. But yeah. this week, we're going to be chatting to Stephen Ferris about his, we're going to go back all the way to 2009, his uh, Lions Tour 2009. Unfortunately, it was cut short, but we're going to chat to Stephen about his experience and what it means to a rugby player to be a Lion, which I think to Stephen really still means a lot. Like even like a couple of years ago, he was getting a ceremonial cap. Uh, I remember he had it up on social media, how much it meant to him. Um, so I'm looking forward to this chat. Of course it does, yeah. Like uh, This is something that I kind of brought up originally and then when we were sort of ta- like thinking, oh, maybe because he got injured before the first test, maybe there isn't enough in it. And, you know, when we talked to him briefly then, it was like, my God, there's a load of stories here. We're going to have to kind of keep them down. And I think that that tour is so interesting to me and actually Stephen's role in it because I remember thinking of him as someone that was going to come in as a, you know, a squad player and just dominate everybody down in South Africa across the tour games and across the training games as he was doing and find himself on the test team. So it's such a pity he got injured. So I look forward to talking about that. And also about that that tour in general. It's just, I don't know whether it was the right age or the fact that the games were on in the middle of the day because it was South Africa or whatever, but I have so many memories of that tour and it all kind of culminated in that insane last game where Ron O'Gara was going around concussed and... Brian O'Driscoll, like I've never ever seen a more physically dominating game of rugby in history. You know, Brian yeah. O'Driscoll running into was it Russo? I can't remember what player he was, but you know that famous clash. And um, so many Irish on that tour as well. That's the other thing. Like you know, you had Rob Carney, Liv Fitzgerald, uh, um, Brian O'Driscoll, obviously um, all starting. You know, even like even for it to be back. Paul O'Connell was captain. Connor, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, Paul O'Connell captain. Um, so just millions of things to talk about and looking forward to. 
Cool, yeah, and we're also going to be playing our All-Ireland quiz once again. Yourself and PJ are going to be back. I'm not revealing who, you know, what year it is yet or what code it is yet, although I did think I promised football, football this week. Yeah. There's the giveaway. We're narrowing it down that much. But can you actually go and win the All-Ireland once and for all? We'll see that later on. And, of course, we'll have one, two, three. As I mentioned, it's your chance to win €100 Euro cash on Labrooks. You can play it for free. And this week, it's three La Liga games. So we're going to be putting our La Liga knowledge to the test. But that's all to come. First up, let's chat to Stephen Ferris. We're delighted now to be joined by Stephen Ferris. Stephen, how's it going? Not too bad. Change of scenery today, guys. I'm in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the living room. Got to keep mess, things fresh. So, yeah, yeah, fresh, freshen it up. Yeah, good stuff. Band, I'm, all, I'm all good, thanks. Yeah, thankfully, we're on our way to lockdown um, slowly, measures being lifted. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit better for the head. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And we're good. We're going to chat about the Lions Tour, but just before we get to the actual part of the tour, just talk to me about um, what it means as a player or what, the, you know, as fans usually, you could sometimes nowadays, especially with the internet, the hype starts almost as soon as one Lions match finishes or tour finishes. Everyone's predicting the squad for the next one in a couple of years. It's, it's kind of like the hype and the excitement for it is mad. But as a player, you obviously have to focus on, it was like 2009 was a big year for Ireland. You're focusing on your club rugby or international rugby. When does it start entering your mind or that do you that I really want to get into this Lions squad? Yeah, Mark, I think you're right. Like, um, if Ireland hadn't won a Grand Slam, if Ireland had had a an average year in the Six Nations, would you wouldn't have seen as many Irish faces on the 2009 Lions tour? And it was predominantly Welsh and Irish that were on that tour. There was very few English. Uh, and even less Scotsmen. So um, it was it was a tour that was, um, once you won that Grand Slam and you were at the top of the tree and you were playing really well, of course you thought about it. Of course you're in that shop window. Uh, you're in the best team uh, in Ireland that year. And, you know, I was a starter for Ireland. I wasn't somebody that was coming in out of the team. I started all five games uh, during the 2009 Six Nations. So, uh, I suppose I realised I had a chance, but Ulster weren't particularly doing that well. Um, and then I, you know, some fantastic games and then some rubbish games. And I can remember we played Cardiff and Belfast. I think it was maybe the penultimate game before uh, the Lions squad was selected. And Andy Powell, of course, was playing for Cardiff. And Andy Powell played amazing. And I can remember getting into the change room after. They, they might have won or it was close anyway at Belfast. And we were talking about, you know, we just played Andy Powell onto the plane for the Lions. And, you know, mm. if, if, if he had had a bad game, like, he might not have made the tour. And, you know, Tom Croft might have been in ahead of him before, you yeah. know, Quinny, obviously, with the, the eye gouging of Leo on that. So, yeah, it's very, very, very fine margins. But, of course, it's in the back of your head, especially when you have success during the Six Nations with, with your country. I remember... the. Sorry, go ahead, Mick. No, sorry. I just I remember the the team, the squad announcement better than I remember any any other like you know still back in at home line story probably ever. You know, like before the tour actually started. And I wonder is that because we won the Grand Slam and Leinster were Heineken Cup champions and Munster had won the year before and Irish rugby was just on such a high. We knew we were going to have a huge amount of names on it. But I remember you your your name getting selected and it wasn't a surprise. And one of the pundits I had no idea who it was was kind of making the uh, a comment that like. You know, Stephen is probably someone that's getting picked, you know, for the tour game, but wait until he gets down there 
and you know is is on the field with these guys he's going to prove himself and, and and it was a prediction made on the day that you would be a test starter now we obviously know what happened with the injury but is that kind of what you would have thought when you were selected as well that like you know maybe I haven't been around a tour before maybe I've, I've only been playing kind of international rugby a couple of years that maybe they see me as a flyer but I'm going to know when I get down there with these guys I'm going to prove myself yeah maybe Mick I think what it was 23 was it at the mm. time of getting selected like um obviously I was hugely disappointed at the time for Rory Best because he was a fellow Ulster man um he didn't make a cut um but then I sort of there was a selfish side of me that just goes you know what this isn't about anybody else apart from you here to getting on this team. And um, I I put in so many hours on the training pitch. So like my preseason started at the end of the season, if that made sense. Mm. Um, Johnny Johnny Davis, who's now left Ulster, he's with Tyrone actually, uh, Gaelic football team, head of strength and conditioning there. Uh, Johnny and I, like we pushed ourselves to the limits. Um, it was the fittest that I'd ever been. So I knew when you were chatting about there when I was hitting the ground running, that I almost felt that I was half a step ahead of other lads uh, because I pushed myself so hard. And maybe I did need to be that half a step ahead to give myself a chance. And I think it proved that I was that little bit ahead mm. uh, in the couple of games that um, you know I got given the opportunity to, to wear the red jersey of the British and Irish Lions. And um, I felt at the top of my powers and unfortunately just a training ground incident it could happen any single day in training. Um, you know, I just tweaked my MCL and that, that was it over. But, uh, yeah, in the lead-up to that tour, uh, I never thought I was going over there to, to be a midweeker or to be making up numbers. Um, I Obviously, David Wallace, you know, probably the best ever player that I've played with. Um, uh, he's probably the only person that could ever beat me in the gym and, you know, explosive power. And, you know, I really looked up to him. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just uh, at a time where, you know, I knew there was a couple of lads that were maybe just ahead of me, but in saying that, they were eight, number eight, and they were at number seven. Mm. So I felt like, obviously, the Quinny thing, really <laughs> hate me for saying this, it probably played into my hands a little bit as well with a new face coming into the squad. So Tom Crofty and I had to play catch up. But geez, lads, look how it all panned out. Tom actually ended up playing, starting the first test. You yeah. know, it, it, it's, just, it's just crazy. And, yeah. and scoring, he scored two tries in that first game. So um, I think, you know, professional rugby, um, from week to week, it's a long time. Like, it's a, it's a really long time. So from the six-week tour, whatever it was, you could lose a wee bit of form or somebody else could be playing brilliant and you could miss out on your spot. Um, but I think... Any of the lads that were selected to be there out of the 35, as was proven in the third test, could go out and do a job. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I had to slip out of those 34, 35 players, whatever it was, after only, uh, what, three and a half weeks, four weeks on tour. In those few weeks, what was the dynamic like um, coming up with the... Like, it's a weird one because I was going to ask you, what was it like gelling with these players from uh, other teams that you'd gone head-to-head with then? But at the same point, you're also competing with them for a spot like you're saying you're going down there you're trying to be ahead of everybody else but at the same time you have to come together as a team and start to function and get along with the lads as well off the field not just on it yeah Mark I, I, do you know what it was only on the field that I felt there was real competitiveness that was it only on the training pitch um, only in live malls scrummaging physical contact um, a little bit in the gym 
but we're all big, strong lads. Like, you know, there's, there's no need to go out and try and impress somebody by putting another 10 kg on the bar just to say, mm-hmm. here, you know, I, I'm macho man. We all, like, we could all lift heavy weights. Everybody that was there, we all knew our strengths. But it was on the training pits that you seen that competitor side come out and a lot of people. And then as soon as the whistle was blown for the end of uh, training, we all just seemed to come together. And it was, it was amazing. Like, we, I remember sitting at Penny Hill Park, you know, standing around the bar with uh, Mike Phillips and Lee Byrne and uh, James Hook and uh, even, you know, the strength and conditioning lads and just having a few beers and having the crack. Um, it, it was just brilliant. There was no, uh, you know, shoulders puffed out, you know, I'm going to take your place. None of this. Likes of Joe Worsley, who was, you know, getting to the, the latter end of his career, I suppose, at the time as well. Um, he was somebody that, put an arm around me and was like, you know, take me under his wing. Stevie, do you want to do 10 minutes low tackling drills after training? You know, he, we're all helping each other out and trying mm. to make each other better. And, and I think if you can get that in a squad, it goes a long way to being successful because, um, you know, people at each other's throats and trying to, I, you, you obviously watch the Sam Burgess, you know, stuff, you know, with George Ford not talking to him and look how their World Cup ended up. You know, I think you need a really happy camp um, and ours was certainly very happy. Um, it was brilliant crack on and off the pitch, and it all started in Penny Hill Park, um, and that was the, the first couple of training. Well, I think it was about eight or nine days of training there, and then we jumped on the plane, obviously, to fly out to South Africa. Yeah, it's, it's how much of um, a part of all of that then, the dynamic was in McGeekin, and, you know, we, I think a lot of us will have seen, there's, there's obviously films about the 2009 um, tour as well but a lot of us will have seen the 97 living with the Lions and how much backstage and everything they got for that and like he just seems like this kind of like character who's just an unbelievable figure to just bring people together and create this team out of nowhere where you all have been at each other's throats basically in the Six Nations and in the Celtic yeah. League and everything else in Europe for, for years you know but you come together for that month or two Yeah Geach had um, something about him something very special um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, like, but um, he probably wasn't the most technical coach around. Um, he, you know, he wasn't somebody that would do a Joe Smith and grab you and say, you know, put you in front of the laptop and this is where you're going wrong here, and this is where, where you, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. You need to fix this. If you don't fix that, you're doing laps of the pitch. You know, none of this here nonsense. It was more his man management of the players, mm. uh, his relationships with the players. He seemed to, you know, only after a couple of weeks, it was almost like he was a friend. You know, you could you go up to him and have a yarn with him, put your arm around his shoulder, what's the crack each, give him a bit of slagging. Um, and, yeah, I think that comes out in his personality a lot, um, especially in, in, in the videos that you see. Um, and I don't want to take words out of Tommy Bowe's mouth, but he, like Tommy said to me from 2009 to 2013, it was like night and day in terms, yeah. of, in terms of the crack, the banter, um, you know, just the, the way the whole tour was run and, and maybe it did need to take that jump to being more professional to actually get success. Mm. Um, but like 2000, 000, uh, excuse me, 2013, I think was just all about result, 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 yeah. result. And just that, that was it about beating Australia. And then, uh, but 2009, Keith's done a fantastic job. And of course, you know, he, he picks good coaches to help him out along the way. Yeah, but if you talk to, I don't know if this would have come up or whatever, but you're talking about what came after, but what came before was a borderline farce as well in New Zealand with the 
the the Woodward, um, you know, the way yeah. too many players yeah. and the set fifteen and everything like that. And I'll, if you would, I don't know whether you would have talked to to Brian or to Paulie or Wally or anyone about their experiences on that compared to two thousand, like whatever, maybe two thousand thirteen yeah. was the crack was gone, but in two thousand and we it, it was the most important tour of the Lions' history, really, because of what had happened in '05, and it needed McGeekin almost to come back in and sort of bring back what the Lions was supposed to be about. I think so. Was was Malcolm O'Kelly in 2005? Yeah, he was there. Yeah, yeah. He was. So yeah. Mal O'Kelly and O'Connell, I think, didn't see each other for like three weeks, even though they were on the same squad. Um, different players didn't interact with other players because one team was flying somewhere else and the other team was going the other way and then the test team was getting ready and you know the midweeker team they were doing their own thing going out and having a few drinks or whatever and there was there wasn't this bond between them and I think that's what Geach was I think told from the powers to be about the Lions. This is what the Lions is all about. It's very, very special and we need to get that back again. Uh, and and he did that. I think he done a really good job of that. We all know how the three tests went like you know, I, I think a draw probably would have been a fair result yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. Um, I, I think it would have. Um, the O'Gar incident, I'm sure he has nightmares about that. But like the competitor that I know Ronan O'Gar is, um, he wanted to go and try and win that game. Mm. Like he wasn't intentionally trying to take somebody out in the air for Morning Stain to step up and knock it through the post from what 60 yards out. He wanted to regather that and give himself an opportunity to hit a drop goal to try and win the test. You know, he's that type of person. Um, but it was on a knife edge the whole tour. And because in the warm up games, we were going very, very well. I think the only close game that we really had was um, against the Cheetahs in Bloemfontein, where it was quite end to end, the game that I played in. Mm. Um, but yeah, like in, in terms of, you know, uh, where we were in the tour, the group of players that we had, Ian McGeekin and the coaching staff, I think they got it right um, and it was really thoroughly enjoyable. Mm. Talk to me about those couple of games you're playing, especially the cheese on getting the trade. That must be a great feeling. Yeah, well, I, I was actually supposed to play I'd be on the bench in the first game um, and I was just getting off the bus one day and my quad like, just seemed to tighten up, probably just over training and Geeks pulled me aside and said, Stevie, you know, just going through some weights. You're not going to be on the team this weekend. Um, you know, you might not play next weekend either, just the way the rotation is. We're looking at different combinations. And I was like, oh, yeah, fine. Sure, just, I'll be good to go. Just give me the nod. And then he put me on the bench against the Lions, um, the Golden Lions. Um, and I think I played. I can remember sitting standing on the touchline. And, like, Tom Croft started that game, and he was going very well. I think he scored a try. Um, very rangy, a fantastic athlete, and I was like, "Get me on this pitch! Get me on this pitch! Get me on this pitch!" <laughs> just, just itching. I was like, "Right, get him off for sixty points up, like you know, get him off, get him off." Um, and Geach put me on, and of course, um, I felt great, felt really good um, playing at altitude, and there wasn't that many people in the stadium. It was pretty empty. It wasn't yeah, not, not much atmosphere. So we'll just go out and enjoy it. Uh, obviously ran in a, a really good try. Um, and you know, that, that's been played a lot over the years. Um, and again, also remember Geach in, in the change room afterwards because I think I was, 
we had maybe two back rowers on the bench or something. So I was wearing number 19 or 20 or whatever it was, or 18 maybe. So I had like substitute second rows, yeah. uh, jersey, mm. jersey on. And um, Ian McGeekin turned around the change room. He says, fantastic lads, brilliant result. We came here, we came to the home of South African rugby and we absolutely give it to them. We give them absolutely everything. And what a fantastic last couple of minutes with her substitute second row, Stevie Ferris, <laughs> run, running it in from 70 yards. Keats, I play in the back row, like. <laughs> and he, he, looked, he looked at me, oh, sorry, Stephen, sorry, Stephen, sorry. Um, but, uh, Not the most technical of coach. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I don't think he cared what number was on your back as long as as long as you'd done a good job. Uh, but yeah, and then obviously, Mark, I had to back it up four days later in Bloemfontein, or three or four days later in Bloemfontein. Good stuff. And like, I know the injury um, at the time, you were probably devastated on it, but you were saying to us, I've heard that there was a chance as well that you could have actually maybe made it back as well to actually play in the tests. Yeah, like, I suppose, you know, played two games in the spin, Match fitness felt like it was getting there. Um, I think it was the Sharks, Natal Sharks maybe. I was going to be in contention for it if I hadn't have injured myself. Um, and you know, man on match against the Cheetahs, had a bit of everything, scored another try. Um, like I said, Keith Earls up a really good job. Just played solid, solid rugby um, and give myself every chance. And we're just down in Durban and training ground incident a couple of guys I was trying to do the old Les Kiss joke tackle hold a few boys up there was like a rock and drill two guys were coming in clear me out and when they cleared me out we all just kind of fell backwards and my legs just tangled in around a couple of other legs and we fell back and my MCL just I just tweaked it and you know it's a four it was probably a four week injury four to six week injury yeah. but with the physios that we had on the ground there um the technology that they also had, they had loads of bits of kit with them. Um, straight away, Phil Pask, who was the physio at the time, he said to me, right, Stevie, you know, we're going to get get you scanned. We're going to get started in this straight away. I went, right, okay. But when I hurt myself, and uh, it was Gary O'Driscoll, um, the Irish doctor, who's now at Arsenal. Um, he came to the side and he'd done the old test where you, you know, to see if there's a bit of giving, a bit of movement. And it wasn't particularly sore, like, but when he gave, done that there, it was like it, it separated a good bit. And he says, oh, and I went, oh, that's not what I want to see. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not what I want to hear. Um, and he says, right, we need to get this scanned ASAP. So got it, got it scanned the next day, I think. Um, and it got, then it got pretty sore. Joe Worsley was my roommate in, uh, in Durban. Uh, he helped me out. You know, got my bags all sorted for me. Um, yeah, and then a bit of reality sort of kicked in. Like, you know, I tweaked my MCLs a couple of times playing underage rugby. I knew it was four, five, six weeks, you know, strengthened up, come back again. And I sort of knew deep down that it was mature, it was sort of over. Um, and I remember sitting in the hotel room and I was just feeling a bit shit, feeling lonely, feeling that I'd trained so hard for everything and yet again I was struck by a bit of bad luck and um, if I had to absolutely wreck myself in a match I think it would have been a lot easier to take you know I yeah. think you kind of went, you're, on, you're on the field of battle you can kind of go right okay but 
wasn't it wasn't an intense training session or anything. It was just one of those things that happened. Um, I had a few tears, just kind of feeling sorry for myself. Um, and then, yeah, I hung around for, what, 10 days. actually went down to Cape Town with the team. And to go back to your original question, you know, it was probably, well, I went to the first test in Durban and then flew home a couple of days after that. So it was maybe, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks after I actually injured myself that I was jumping on the plane to go home. And I knocked on Gary O'Driscoll's door and I said, look, what's the story here? Like, this is feeling good, walking around pain-free. You know, if you asked me to step off it here, like, I probably wouldn't be too comfortable. He said, look, Stevie, this is the way it's going to feel. It's going to feel like you can go out jogging here at the minute. But, you know, you've probably pushed maybe to get onto the bench for the last match. But you're not going to have played rugby for four weeks. And, you know, obviously it's test matches against uh, South Africa and their home patch. You know, the best decision here is to go home and, and get it right and come back. You know, you'll get another shot at this in four years' time. And I was like, right, okay. As it pans out, that never happened. But mm. yeah, um, I had it in my head that um, I, I possibly could have made it back. If this had happened in the first game that I was supposed to play in, I, I definitely think I would have hung, hung around for sure to try and get a test a test game towards the end of the tour. Um, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, there's no point in like I, regrets, I'd imagine you probably think, and, and you know, this is just the way things happen. But I get the impression you also sort of know in your in your head that like, you were firing on all cylinders and that might have been almost the, the defining part of your career if it had kind of gone on that you were sort of, that was as good as, as you know, 2011 World Cup is obviously part of it, you know, and, and various sort of like ridiculously high points in your career. But I get the impression that you sort of feel like that might have been um, where like everything has gone right for me here. And, you, you like, you know, you always struggled with injury and you didn't have that until obviously it just happens, you know, is, yeah. again, not something that you look back on, but it, I think, I get the sense you definitely think that, that you would have kind of starred in that series. Well, I give myself a good chance to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I look at it. Like, I think with the way South Africa were playing at that, uh, at that, at that time, it was the physicality that was winning them the games, you know, for the guts of a couple of years with Bakis Botha, Victor Matfield, Pierre Spees, you know, the Beast. They just brought physicality. And obviously that's something that, you know, I kind of base my game around. So I love matching fire with fire. And and certainly in that first test, the conditions were absolutely perfect. Um, the atmosphere was electric. I was high up watching it, bird's eye view. And it was just, um, you always have this feeling, Mick, that could have made a bit of a difference. Could I have put in a tackle that dislodged the ball, the set up a try or to kick three points or I always have these things running around in my head um, maybe I wouldn't would have been on on the end of the ball that uh, Brown O'Driscoll offloaded to Tom Croft to get one of the tries I might not have been there he was there so you know there's all these outcomes that could have happened but um, I definitely feel that I was playing the best rugby of my career I was the fittest I'd ever been and um, I felt that I had a lot more to offer and I don't think I wouldn't turn around and say to you lads that I thought I was better than any of the lads, um, any of my opposition or the, the guys I was fighting for for that six or seven or eight jersey. Did I think I was better than them? No. But do I think I was playing better rugby than them at that time? Yes. So you know, I, I think that my form probably was slightly better than a couple of other lads, and that's what maybe would have given me the edge for for a starting test spot. Um, 
but it's it's all hindsight and and the yeah. guys you know the guys done you know that first test was just just insane how physical it was it was an unbelievable the whole thing is just so physical and we could see by like there was hardly anybody left standing at the end of it and you mentioned even <laughs> Raj having you know nightmares about it I'd say that's if he could remember it he'd have nightmares about it you know because we know what happened yeah. to him but like for me the second test in particular just stands out as probably one of the most memorable rugby games that I've ever seen and I, I kind of just then think of you when you say you flew home after the first game and what was it like turning on Sky Sports sitting in your house you know when you've been there for the guts of a month or whatever with these guys it's a weird feeling I'd imagine yeah yeah weird feeling um, do you know what I wish I had a flown straight home like mm. a day or two after injuring myself and if I was given any any current rugby players that are going to watch this um are you know like go to world cups and they they tweak something and they're going to be out don't hang around get out of there uh that sounds a very selfish thing to do like around teammates that you know but that they they need to focus and get to work and the last thing that they need to be seeing is you moping around and feeling sorry for yourself and sitting around the team room all like i was just in the team room for more or less two weeks you know icing my knee doing some rehab with the physios I wish I had to get out of there straight away. Um, not went to the first test, mm. you know, watched it all at home because being there and, and feeling that that atmosphere and, and then chatting to the boys afterwards, seeing the disappointment, it, it sort of it, it didn't really sit well with me. And I would definitely advise anybody who's who's playing rugby like at the minute, um, who injures themselves uh, and needs to get home from a tour, a World Cup, or Lions tour, get the hell out of there because um, it's not easy to to watch your peers, um, you know, get beaten. And obviously you could have been a part of that. So, uh, yeah, just a bit of advice there, Mick, for you. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever am on a line store, <laughs> I'll get injured. <laughs> but on, a, on a more positive note to end on, like, look, I know it didn't go to plan as, as we liked, but at the same point, I sense that even all these years later, there's still immense pride there. So you getting like your ceremonial cap a couple of years ago, you look at your autobiography, your profile photo on social media to you and Alliance shares, there still must be that great sense of pride to have made that tour. Oh, big time, big time. Honestly, guys, it was the best time of my life. Like, it was amazing. It was so fun. Like, you talk about teams and, you know, successful teams and everything else. It was just a great place to be with good lads. Um, my Lions number is 768. And like 768, like I played all the three positions. It's number <laughs> seven, number six, number eight. And then, yeah. of course, the, the middle numbers, number six. Like, you know, it, it was just, it was really cool to have. I didn't even know what my Lions number was until I got it posted through. Um, and, you know, the memories that I have with lads, with Andy Powell, um, you know, the fitness staff, Lee Byrne, Hookie, Tommy, you know, standing nightclubs with their tops off, swinging them round and round, smoking, smoking a marble light, uh, you know, and then get, get, getting up for training the next day. And, like, the thing is, the, all the staff, like, you know, everybody was in it together. You know, it was yeah. none of this here, oh, those guys were out drinking last night, you know, I'm going to go and tell such and such and I'm going to do that. But well, there seems to be a bit of that now that's crept into rugby, like, because it's so professional. Um, and yes, of course, we were pros and we were trying to do everybody uh, proud back home from the British and Irish Isles. But at the same time, there was that 
off-field experience that was just unforgettable. Um, and lots of friends made, you know, rocking up to the first day in Penny Hill Park, rooming with Alan Wynne-Jones. Played against him, obviously, a few times. Um, by the end of the tour, really good lads. And, you know, anytime I see him, you would never walk past each other without without saying hello, without having a quick catch-up. And, you know, that's what Lions tours are all about. Uh, making memories, making friends, and and trying to get results. Um, and you know, hopefully that tradition's kept going forward. Definitely sounds like memories that last a lifetime. Thanks very much, Stephen. <laughs> they, they certainly will last a lifetime, <laughs> lads. <laughs> Brilliant stuff there from Stephen. Jesus, Mickey, we could talk about it all day. We didn't even get into any of the specifics of any of the matches. Like you could have had, we could have had Stephen Ferris, the pundit, there as well. Yeah. Just talk about the uh, South Africa test. That what. You know, there's so much in his own story too. I know it's unbelievable, and it's actually really, really good to kind of hear, like you know, the honesty almost of like how much that affects your career. Like Stephen doesn't go into it in too much detail there, and and nobody wants to ever think back with regrets and stuff either. But like how much that affected his career, he doesn't know that he's not going to be around as still a young man in 2013. You know what I mean? Because of other injuries, but like how much that affects. Uh, you know, if he ended up starring in three tests, which he easily could have done, he's dead right about the matchups and everything like that. That's what I was saying to him at the start about, like, you know, him hitting yeah. the ground under. Was just a sense that Stephen Barris is like is an absolute monster of a rugby player, and people outside of Ireland don't realise it yet. In two thousand nine, yeah. there was just that little window, just a very very small window, where the people outside of Ireland didn't quite realise it yet. They were almost there, but they weren't quite there, and. Uh, that would have been his kind of coming out party, you know. But you're looking, it wasn't as if he didn't make an impact in his career or anything like it, you know. But uh, you kind of feel that that could have been the, the kind of the, the, the peak, I suppose. But you look, these things happen. That, that's the game. Funny, we were talking about Ron Nogara a little bit with him there. And I, I kind of alluded to it like it's like Ron Nogara's um, 2009 is so interesting when you think about it because. He goes and leads Ireland to the Grand Slam. He hits the most famous moment of his career is probably the drop goal. A few weeks later, you know, Munster's crown is taken by Leinster um, after years of domination in Crow Park. And it's summed up by two moments by O'Driscoll intercepting the ball and scoring the try. And as you mentioned to me earlier, is Johnny Sexton standing over <laughs> O'Cara. Um, you know, and then it goes from there to a Lions tour, which again could have been you know, it was the peak time for, for Ron Nogara, you know, as to be a test player. And he has that unfortunate moment where I'm convinced he was concussed at the end of the game. And then he goes back to Ireland and we have a November series where he loses his test place to Johnny Sexton. And you're thinking, what the feck happened there? <laughs> you know, I was on the top of the world. And all of a sudden, it's all gone horrible. It's spiraling out of control. It was like he made a deal with the devil to, to kick that drop goal in the Millennium Stadium, you know? Yeah, you know, definitely. Like it's it's one of those things that teaches you, even like if that lines up between Stephen saying about what happens to go home injured and then with Roger, like you know, with sports, you have to almost take memories and just put. It's so hard, especially as a professional sports person, yeah. because it's always what's the next thing and the next thing and the next oh, thing. Yeah. Um, but like, especially for professionalists like someone like Roger, yeah. well, do you know what I mean? Like he's interested in. There's a Roy Keane element to him as well, you know. Like, uh, but it's yeah. a, by the way, it's like what's funny about that is as well is that the memory of one moment. Also, he actually had a really good tour, and like I thought was actually had a good game in in you know up until he was hit. He was like clearly borderline knocked out, you know. Um, yeah. It's kind of 
you know, what, what can you say after that? Good, but uh, moving on to sport that's going to happen this weekend. I know, not uh, 11 years back. ago. <laughs> not 11 years ago. Uh, there's a couple of things. First of all, before we, uh, before we jump into one, two, three, obviously you've got the Bundesliga is back. But the Coppa Italia is on this mm. Friday night. Uh, Juventus against AC Milan. I tried to look up TV details for it there. BT Sport writes to it, but there's no sign of it on the TV guide of it being on BT Sport. So that might be the bad news, although it could well yeah. mean still if the schedule's changed. But the good news is, when I was looking for Friday night's TV listings on BT, uh, they're showing highlights of Leeds United against Lazio in the 2001 Champions League uh, second group stage, <laughs> and then Leeds United against Deportivo La Coruña in the quarterfinals from 2000, oh, 2001 Mark, Mark. Uh, Friday evening at BT Sport 3. So uh, if anybody wants to watch that, we can watch that on Friday. Oh, then on going Saturday, back to real life sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Saturday, got... Uh, you got racing from the Corra as well with the 1,000 yeah. guineas. That's an RT2 uh, from 6pm. And the league is back this weekend. And it is the league we're focusing on for this week's yeah. Labbrooks 1, 2, 3. It's your chance to win 100 euro cash by correct predicting the scores of three of this weekend's matches. They're all in the league at this weekend. Last week, Mick, we didn't do so well. Well, I didn't do so well anyway. I don't know how you get on, but uh, I ended up getting nothing from the three games uh, in the Bundesliga. I wasn't a million miles away with the results, mm. but I just had the wrong scorelines, which is the aim of the game here is getting the scoreline right. It's the whole point of it, Mark. Exactly. Well, this week, I think we know a bit more about La Liga, in theory at least, than we do about <laughs> uh, the Bundesliga. I will tell. I will tell. I will absolutely um, tell, yeah. <laughs> This week's matches are Mallorca against Barcelona on Saturday at 9 o'clock our time. Uh, Athletic Bilbao against Atletico Madrid, a good tongue twister there, uh, at 1pm on Sunday. And then Real Madrid against Ibar uh, at half six on Sunday evening. So first up, Mallorca against Barcelona. Barcelona top of the league. Mallorca third from bottom, I think it is. So Mick, what are you going with, I presume? Uh, the old Samuel Leto derby. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, all form goes out the window when you've had three months off, Mark. But uh, exactly. at the same time, you can't see Barcelona not winning this game. And I am going to go for an arbitrary selection of 4-1 to the Catalans. I don't see Barcelona conceding here. Don't ask me why. I just don't uh, say no more. I'm going to say 5-0, actually. That's it. Okay. I'm going to go. I think that a lot of these class is going to tell on the first game back. Uh, Atletico, Atletic Bilbao and Atletico Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trying not hard not to say the H in the, the red and white stripe. Hard not to say the O in Athletic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Athletic without the O and Atletico without the H. I'll tell you uh, what, I'm going for two all in this one. I kind of. I'm going for two all as well. Are you? Jesus, I kind yeah. of feel like Athletic Athletic Bilbao are one of those teams that are so. I don't know whether I'm talking about reputation or anything, but it just feels like they're too hard nosed to kind of come back from a break and be beaten. You know, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> they leak out a result somehow. And they're up against it's probably funny. the most hard-nosed team of them all in Atletico. <laughs> it's the hard-nosed derby. <laughs> the hard-nosed red and white athletic, uh, red and white stripe athletic derby, yeah. That's yeah. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the hard-nosed misspelled Atletico uh, derby. Uh, Real Madrid against Ibar then is on Sunday. I'm going to go for 3-0 Madrid. I've got 5 nil to Madrid here. Ah, so we kind of have gone with the Barca-Madrid games. We've both got the opposite in terms of... We have, we have. Well, be the big result. Madrid might be the, might be the season to kind of trust them for something like this. But, uh, you know, I just think that, again, these are... I don't know how much home and away is going to matter at the moment. I, possibly nothing at all. But I, yeah. I have an instinct that I can't 
I can't, uh, you know, in any way curtail of thinking that being at home matters. So I gave Madrid an extra couple of goals there than I did to Barca. Well, there you go. It's your chances where you can get on yourself and play uh, for free on labbrooks.com. One, two, three is free to play. If you get a euro right, or sorry, if you get one right, you win a euro free bet. If you get one of the two of the scores right, you get a five euro free bet. If you get all three, you win yourself 100 euro cash. Like you mentioned, it's absolutely free to play. And look at if you, uh, myself and Mick, if we, if we get the 100 euro cash this week, I think it'll be America, but hopefully it's hard to know what's going back and forth. But uh, up next, we're going to chat about, uh, we're going to play the All-Ireland quiz. Um, Mick, I'm excited for it. I think it's your, uh, I think this is the one that yourself and PJ could finally do it. Um, I'm going to reveal what the year is in just a second. Reminder as well, if you are having any bets on the football or need any other sport this back this weekend, be sure to gamble responsibly. You can visit dunlewy.net for more information. But now let's get PJ Brown in studio and play our All-Ireland GA quiz. PJ Brown joins us in the studio now, which only means one thing. It's the quest to win the All-Ireland Championship quiz style. PJ, Mick, are you ready? Are you looking forward to it? Is this the week you're finally going to do it? Yes. Uh, yes. I, think, I think we're going to get there. We're, uh, we're, we're primed this week. After another, I wouldn't say it was disappointing last week. I, I think it was a good journey getting, getting to that final, but I think we're ready to do it this week. Yeah, you got agree. another All-Ireland final appearance. Uh, I was disgusted about Richie week, Power last week, though, I have to say. Though. Sorry to interrupt you, Mark. <laughs> Uh, as much as I wasn't disappointed to not possibly get the question right, uh, to um, forget what year we were talking about halfway through the quiz <laughs> was definitely a problem. But I'll that try was definitely to, I'll an issue. Keep, I'll keep it together this week. Yeah, so this, this week, lads, it's back to football. You've yet to make a, a, lot of, a lot of your final. Have you? A lot of semi-final two? Semi-final appearances for you making football? I don't <laughs> think you've met one with, uh, Horland, or with football yet. You've only met it with Horland. This week's quiz is all on the 2002 All-Ireland Football Championship. Right. Okay. <laughs> Try and keep Thanks, the excitement. Man. Try and keep the excitement <laughs> to a minimum, lads. Sorry. You see, the, the computer starts working in the brain as soon as you reveal it. There's not much way to react, you know. We start thinking, right, Armagh versus Gary in the final. Okay, what else happened? Yeah, it's yeah. 18 years ago, obviously, so it's going to be tricky. But look, at I've structured it in a way that hopefully you've been able to, to get through this and have a bit of crack with it. So we're going to start off, as always, if it's your first time listening, we start off in the preliminary round of the championship from that year. The lads have a question on each round of the championship that to try and get the whole way to the All-Ireland final and then hopefully win the 2002 All-Ireland final quiz style. So question number one is on the Ulster preliminary round from 2002. It was contested between Cavan and Donegal. So either tell, I'll give you a choice here, the two questions you can go for. Either tell me the only player from the Donegal 15 for 30 team that was revealed on Ball Study a couple of weeks ago, the wow. best 15 players in the last 30 years, and the only player from that 15 for 30 team who started for Donegal that day, or tell me who refereed the match. And I'll give you a clue. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. Later in life, this referee would release an autobiography titled Final Whistle. Okay, do you know that's PJ offhand? Referee that... Is it, did Pat McEnany release a, an autobiography? You'd imagine if any referee did. The, the 15 for 30 part of it is going to be... Like, it's probably Kevin Cassidy. He was on that team. He was an all-star in 2004. He was... He's 2002, actually, possibly an all-star, as well as 2011. He had a big, long gap. I think, I think it was actually 2002 and 2011. So more than likely, the answer is Kevin Cassidy. I think it's probably too early for someone like Carl Lacey 
and it's too did, late. Did Tony Boyle like make that Tony team? Boyle. Tony Boyle, I think, was he might have, he might have. I think he was gone in 2000. I could be wrong though. Um, and there's a good chance that, well, that's why I'd be a little bit worried in case there was something like that. I, the, the reason I say Cassie is because I think he won an all-star now too. I really do. Okay. And you'd imagine he played in every game if that was the case. But look, who knows? I think that's a bit too risky. I think Pat McEnany is <laughs> a much more likely answer. I, like, I don't know who the other referee would be that, uh, that would have released an autobiography. Yeah. Is Pat McEnany allowed um, referee cabin matches, border match? Don't know. Yeah, I'm sure he is. That uh, had an injury, my thinking. Is like who? Who else is there even? Like Joe McQuillan? Would he still have been around at that time? Probably not. Uh, he's he not releasing man? autobiographies, is he? Is he a cabin man? Right there, you go. That's he cabin he man. Man. <laughs> I'll give you that much. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Your call. Your call. Oh God, we go with Pat McEnany. Let's do it. I don't he, think many referees have written autobiographies, to be honest. How, how confident are you about uh, Cassidy? I've explained it like I would be worried that someone like Boyle could be in there. I don't think so. Uh, just run through that team, right? So it was uh, Paul Durkin. It's not him. Uh, then you had uh, Neil McGee. It's not him. Uh, I'm trying to think of the cornerbacks. Uh, Frank McGlynn, uh, no. Paddy McGrath, you know, um, it, Cassidy. Lacey and uh, Ryan McHugh, definitely not Ryan McHugh. You know, you're talking Tony Boyle, Michael Murphy, and Colin McFadden. Colin McFadden, I think it's a bit early for him as well. And then a half forward line of, uh, God, I've completely drawn a blank here. Martin McHugh, uh, not him. And, uh, oh, Christy Toy. Christy Toy made that team in 02. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's too big a risk. Let's go with McEnany. Okay, we go with McEnany? McEnany, yeah. Lads. Lock it in, Mark. Mick, <laughs> twice in a row now you've been knocked out in the preliminary round of the Ulster Football Championship. Despite not the right <laughs> Oh, answer. my God. So, first of all, Kevin Cassidy was the right answer for the Donegal 15 to 30 team. Of course he was, yeah. And the referee who would on to release an autobiography entitled Final Whistle, uh, the... The full title of that autobiography was Final Whistle, The Paddy Russell Story. Ah, Paddy Russell. Or, might, might, that might not be the right title. It was Paddy Russell was in the title anyway, because it was Paddy Russell was the referee. The Paddy Russell Story. Why do I not trust myself? <laughs> what are referees think, doing right now? It was Final yeah, Whistle, exactly. The Paddy Russell Story. I think he released that after Galvin may have knocked the book out of his hand. Was that? Yeah. So Paddy okay. Russell sent the man off who refused to leave the field in an All Ireland final and had the book knocked out of his hand by one of the most famous footballers of the country. So if anyone was to write a book, I suppose that is the most ridiculous autobiography since like <laughs> Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> ah, shite! Why didn't I just go with Cassidy? For God's sake! Uh, so let's just see an All Star now, too, Mark. I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. Well, I'd, I imagine you would because Donegal went fairly far. Um, I can't say anymore. Did they win? Did they win the league in O two? No, they didn't. Because it was back when the league was strange. I think it was thrown and Cavan in the final. But anyway, you're into the qualifiers. Should you win your qualifier question, you will go back in at the quarterfinal stage of the Minchin Championships. That's the way it works on this quiz. So your qualifier question is: 
did Longford lose to in the second round of the 2002 All-Ireland qualifiers? Sorry, who did they lose to in the, the second in round? In the second round of the 2002 All-Ireland qualifi- qualifiers. Longford. I hear. <laughs> what a ridiculous question. It's not a ridiculous question when you hear the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you think you're right, Derry, <laughs> because it's the all the qualifiers, and Longford always play Derry. So. <laughs> I thought they only ever lost to them, though, or only ever beat them. Only ever beat them. That's why I, I jokingly, when I was looking for a qualifier question, was like, uh, I look up, sure, Longford probably bet Derry that year. I look at it, and <laughs> I looked at it, and I was like, sure enough, they played each other, but Derry won. So okay. there you go. You're back in. You're back in, into the hunt. What a random rivalry. Longford and Derry. <laughs> Was yeah, that part yeah. of uh, Longford's La Decima? Or did La Decima <laughs> no, come later? No, uh, that's me, or Peter, two weeks ago when you were off, Mick and Johnny got knocked out in the preliminary round uh, of the, what championship was it? 2013? 2012, the one Donegal won. And I think that was this first game in La Decima. They didn't achieve La Decima in the end because they went and beat me, I think, at the first round of the no, championship. Okay, yeah. Meaning that they didn't go into the second round of the qualifiers. And did they win that, actually? Because uh, you could give them a La Decima of their first round. I don't know. What, oh, yeah. Be, I'm confused with that question. I'm going to move on. <laughs> okay. No idea what you're talking about. Um, the first round they were participating in in the qualifiers. Oh, sorry. It hurts me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember. Um, so, lads, second question. Well, technically the third, but second question in the, in the run to the final. In one of the provincial quarterfinals, a player scored a record-breaking 3-9 in a match. Who was that player? Rory Gallagher is the first name that comes to my head, PJ. Okay. He got, I think that's the score he got. It rings a bell. Um, Kind of rings a bell for me. It was a four... It was a 4-8 or something that I think Keane Ward got. That would have been much later on, though. 2002, I'm forgetting how far back that was. Yeah, I think it is Gallagher, isn't it? Feels way too early for Keane Ward. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. and it was 4 he got anyway. So, yeah. Um, the qu- quarter final would make sense for Fermanagh. Uh, 3-9 sounds about right. Uh, we could go and start randomly naming other people that it could be, but that's normally what brings us down. We usually come back around to the first answer. Okay. Yeah. But to speed things up, Mark, let's, uh, let's risk it all and say Rory Gallagher. Rory Gallagher is indeed the right answer. Oh, Good wow. Great answer. Tough question for the... See, it's hard for me to judge because it's kind of famous up here because it was an Ulster provincial record. Uh, so we couldn't remember if people around the country at the time uh, yeah. taking yeah. note of it. 18 years. Some ago. score, to be fair, 3-9. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you're on to the semi-finals of the provincial championships. Dublin beat Mead 2-11 to 10 points in the Leinster semi-final with the help of 2-3 from a player who would end the championship as the second highest scorer overall. Who was that player? So 0-2 was the year of Ray Cosgrove. Uh, I'd be fairly sure it's him. Yep. Locking it in? Yeah. It's the correct answer, lads. You're through to the provincial final. I was a little 
break there from the, the tough questions for mm-hmm. the well, so long as we remembered the year, uh, you know, uh, there was all, there seems to be always a dub that kind of came and had one golden year around that time. Mark Vaughan wasn't hey. too far behind them. So then we move, we move on to the provincial final. This one is a similar type of question. The championship's third highest scorer finished with 11 points in the Munster final of 2002. Who was he? Who was uh, the free taker we, at that stage? Daryl Kaneda. Daryl Kaneda, I would think, would have been the free taker. He would have played all the way through the year. Yeah. You would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it must be. It must be. And it was, and, and, and it has to be a Kerry player. Third highest scorer means he got to the final. Like, you know, you would think uh, Cork, I don't think, had any. Um, I don't know. They didn't pull up any trees that year, as far as I can remember, anyway. Do you, g- give me the question one more time, Mark. The championship's third highest scorer scored 11 points in the Munster final. Who was he? Just that's some scoring as well, isn't it? 11 points. Wait, did Kerry, did Kerry didn't get to the final that year? In 02? To all Ireland yeah. final? No, the, no, the, uh, the Munster final. Really? I don't think they did. I thought they won Munster that year. It was only the second year of the qualifiers. Third, yeah, second year of the qualifiers. How Kerry went through the qualifiers? Oh, seven. Oh nine are the years I remember them going through the club. That doesn't mean anything. That's just the first years that come to my head. They played Antrim and Sligo and Longford and all that. Who? Yeah, I, I like. Yeah, I, I. This is eighteen years ago. I, I'm struggling to remember actually. This. I, I, thought he... Kerry, I thought Kerry went through the qualifiers. In know, yeah, so. Yeah. You think of like as a carry about PJs, it was like say for instance it was me and it would be like oh, who won who scored whatever in the nineteen ninety seven Ulster finals like oh yeah well Cavan were in that one whereas as a carry about yeah. Munster finals it's just like, ah, they all blend into the one <laughs> some years we won it some years we didn't so Cork and to Limerick in the final or I presume I presume Cork could have oh, been definitely Limerick. it would have to be Cork because nobody else yeah. ever won it. Yeah. Uh, and then who who would have their top scorer been in two thousand two? Like Colin Corkery. I don't. I can't imagine it's not. If you're talking about third top scorer in the whole championship. Oh, Canada makes way more sense, doesn't he? Yeah, I got Kerry went through the qualifiers though, which means they didn't make the final. Or sorry, wouldn't. Well, they would have had to play one round. They, the they, could have, they could have. Sorry, yeah. I don't think Kerry made a final that year. We're out if we get it wrong. Yeah. Would this be our earliest exit? By yep. far. It's only the provincial final. We've always won a provincial championship. We're incredibly prolific for silverware. Oh, t- yeah. I don't remember getting knocked out in 02 now, I have to say. That's Poddy. Yeah. Was Poddy's last year, was it? Or was he there in 03? Uh, 02 last year. With 03. 03. So Armagh and Dublin were both provincial champions, and that was one semi final. Who did Kerry beat in the other semi? I don't know. 
we're going to find out in a few I minutes when we're asked the question yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> right off the top no, of my no. head, like, like I, have, I haven't rummaged through the memories yet and I brought that one up. I don't remember who it beats out here. I don't know. I'd be very inclined towards Okanada, but I am worried about your instinct that they didn't make a Munster final. Uh, I don't remember Cork being any kind of a team in 2002. Yeah. Like they started rising in 2006, 2007, and kind of had been finished from maybe 2000 or 99. Oh, God. I guess we have to make a decision here. Yeah. I feel like we. I'm gonna bow to you on Kerry. Look, and okay. on the Munster yep. Championship, my I would definitely, I would strongly say Derek Nader. Okay. Just remember, that was, that was, was the free taker. Yeah. Eleven points in the final. So, Mark, can we? Corkery? I don't. It's, it's just like a feeling. <laughs> the goal with Corkery. It, it might. It, it might not even be Corkery. I mean, who else? We're, yeah, exactly. We're, we're What's Corkery? Going with a going with a Cork man like that. Scoring 11 points, like I mean, he was at his prime in 1993. I know he played for a long time. The other court man, it's like it's pre James Masters. Uh, you know, I don't know, like <laughs> who else was it's pre Dunnico O'Connor and yeah, I, I, I'd like I'm struggling to think of another Corkman here. <laughs> this is. This is great television slash podcasting. <laughs> this is so dramatic. It's like you could be about to pull out the best shout ever in the history of this quiz, or you could be kicking yourselves for a week. Most likely I, player I, is Corkery, if, if it's Cork. I think the most likely answer, in my opinion, is Okanagia. Um, and again, kind of going to the psychology aspect of Mark asking us this question knowing that we'll know that Kerry got to the All-Ireland final, but knowing that we wouldn't have a bull's notion what happened to Cork that year. Um, yeah. And also, the way he said there, it could be the greatest... How did you put it, Mark? Like yeah. the greatest comeback? I, w- I wouldn't worry about that. Greatest shout of all time, or we could be okay, kicking shout. I think, it's, I think it's towards the latter that he's leaning. Okay. I'm not leaning anyway, just for the record. I literally was presenting the two options there. There is no, don't read any psychology into that. <laughs> we always will. We always will. Do you remember the Cork game where they beat them? Like, is there a, a semi-final in two, like 2002 specifically? Like, Kerry went on to the All-Ireland final as raging hot favourites, like to beat Armagh. Yeah. I thought they were being thought of as a that. top, top team. Like, they came back from being hammered to Mead the year before in the semi-final. Um, like there would have been chaos if they'd lost the first yeah. round in Munster, wouldn't there? I feel like they went through the qualifiers. I, I, I don't know. I just, just have a memory of going through the qualifiers. Maybe, maybe, and like it's possible I'm getting the years mixed up here. Like, yeah. who did they play? Just because it might, maybe if you have a game, I, I, I Fermanagh. Oh, I don't remember that. I kind of vaguely remember Fermanagh. Yeah. God, this is like, we're dragging the arse out of this one. <laughs> right, make a call. Corkery. The goal call of Corkery, locked in, no comebacks. Lads, Clarkson scored 11 points in the Munster final and became, well, ended the season as the third highest scorer in the championship overall was 
Colin Cocker. Yes! Yes! <laughs> oh my god, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we need well, answers. Good. We need answers. That is incredible. Right. This, this, this is the kind of moment that wins you in all Ireland. You know, it kind of like uh, brings the team together, forms a bond. <laughs> that I was... can't believe it. I, I'm so glad we deferred because I was convinced, convinced. I would also like to give you one of the results from round three of the football qualifiers that year. <laughs> Kerry 215, Fermanagh Mana, four points. <laughs> <laughs> four points? <laughs> Lads, I'm also worried that the Rory Gallagher didn't memories, get three nine that day. Given your memories of that year, I'm worried that this quarterfinal uh, question might be very very hard. I'm gonna I'm gonna oh, amazing. I'm, gonna, I'm going to alter it slightly, right? I'm gonna make it a little bit easier on you, right? I don't care. Quarterfinal question. Two of the four All Ireland quarterfinals sorry, two of the four All Ireland quarterfinals went to a replay. Name two teams from either of the games. So they don't necessarily have to play have played each other, just two out of the four. Dublin so that, and Donegal was a replay, I'm sure. And I, I, it definitely was. Um, and I don't. And and our man Saigo was the other one, wasn't it? Yeah. We only that need to do a replay. Two, I think. So we, we need we need we need to name two of the four teams that were in, involved in replay. Is that it? Yeah. 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 Dublin Donegal. Is the right answer, and also the original question was just going to be name the teams in either of the games, so you would have got that right as well. So I didn't need to make it easier. It was the All Ireland semi final, that's Sligo Narma was the other one. Yeah, actually, did um, remember that then for all my it's Munster, Munster football is my absolute blind spot. I haven't, they all run into each other. Yeah, it's only one match a year. So you're back, just like that, you're back in an All Ireland semi final, having lost in the preliminary round of the Ulster Championship yet again. We, we scored a, a 60 yard sideline in the depths of injury time <laughs> in the Munster final. We're, we're raring to go here. <laughs> All Ireland semi final, probably the easiest semi final question you'll get now for uh, one of these quizzes. Armagh beat Dublin in the All Ireland semi final after Ray Cosgrove's free came back up the post. But whose fisted point a few minutes earlier had put Armagh in front? Just PJ, we were only talking about this match a few weeks ago. Are we? Yeah, when it was on TG Carter. Oh, actually, it was Mark I was talking to about. Yeah. You were That's why it thought might be too easy. Yeah, but I, don't, I didn't watch it. Like, didn't watch the end of it. What are the options here? Watch the first 60 minutes, I think. Uh, the options of it, it was a fisted point over the bar in the last minute before Cosgrove's free, yeah? It was, there was actually a good bit of time left. In the, like, it was 65 minutes, I think. Around Three, about that. The, the could winning be point, though, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so the options are Stevie McDonnell, Ronan Clark, start. Dermot Marsden, uh, Ushi McCombo, you know, Paul McGrain. Yeah. I'd imagine it's... I'd imagine it's one of the three full forwards or McCombo. So McCombo, Marsden, McDonnell, or... Clark. Yeah. McDonnell got the winning point in the final. What are the chances he did it both games? Is he a man to fist over the bar either? Well, they all are, I suppose. But yeah. I, I don't, don't have a memory of it. I don't have no. a memory of it, honestly. My, my instinct was Ron Clark. I don't know why. Yeah. He was the first player that kind of came to, to mind. I'm more than happy with that. Had a great year. Great player. I think McDonald's the most likely to have scored, but I just I take away the the idea that he got the two winning scores in the 
mm. semi-final and final and didn't win footballer of the year you know um, be like more would have been made of that if that was the case yeah you would think so yeah okay. Clark yeah let's go with Clark then. final answer Clark locked in lads once again oh. you have failed to make an all Ireland football final You've lost at semi-final stage. I thought it was going to be too easy because Mick, we we discussed this only a few weeks ago. About I didn't how... get I, I didn't get to the end of the game. I just watched the, I watched about yeah, fifty what, minutes. What we it. were discussing was specifically the fact that Ushi McConville, time and time again, oh, has yeah. proved himself to be such a great footballer. He caught a big loop and ball from Kieran McGinley. Took on I can't remember who it was. Was it David Henry? Possibly not. I could be wrong there. Casey. I can't remember who oh, it was. Casey, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I think it might have been Casey. Took him on, just put the head down, went by him, fisted over the bar to give them the lead. Uh, so I'm afraid you have you're fallen at the at the semi final okay. stages once you again. Know what, you want didn't know the answer. I'm not too bothered about that. I think it was an okay guess. So you obviously yeah. should have. Yeah. Do you want the final question just to see what crackages have gotten it? Of course we do. It is. Name twelve of the starting fifteen for either team in the final. Yeah. No. You problem. just have to pick one of the teams. Yeah. Benny Tierney, uh, the uh, uh, the two McNulty's, Justin and uh, Ender. Yeah. Uh, you have um, Francie Bellew. You have Kieran uh, McGinney. Uh, uh, Paul McGrain. Uh, Marsden Clark. And McDonnell, McConville, many's that. I think you have eleven. Ooh. So we need the wing half backs and the right. Missing the wing half, half backs. Yeah, you're missing the wing half backs, the other midfielder, and the right half forward. Malin? No. And I would have given you, you'd have, you'd be able to get three wrong. So Malin's wrong, but you've got two more guesses. Actually, three more guesses. Who was the other? I definitely know the midfield. Who were the twins? McEntee, John McEntee. Oh, yeah. Nope, that's another one you've got wrong. Sorry, you mentioned John McEntee already. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe that was Tony you were going with. No, I hadn't, mentioned, I hadn't mentioned McAdee at all. Oh, sorry. Then you hadn't got the centre-half forward. John McAdee is the centre-half forward. Now you, still, now you have 11. <laughs> we had said um, Paul McGrain. Yeah, you did. Yeah, he's the midfielder. But you need another one. All right, okay. So now we have 11. But we still have three guesses left. Yeah. Uh... Okay. Who was the right half back? That's definitely someone that we know. I remember the left half back being someone that I wasn't sure of when I saw the team. But the right half back we know. Don't we, Mark? You do. (laughs) (laughs) You know all of them. Yeah, of course we do. Yeah, but as in it's obvious. And the right half forward. Yeah, the right half forward is someone obvious as well, is it? Yeah. Was Aiden O'Rourke on that team, PJ? This isn't a guess. Sounds possibly. I feel like he might have been. Okay. Is he one, Mark? 
He is. Congratulations. You would have won the other Ireland final. That's only Peyton 12, right half back. Yeah. So oh, the, yeah. Other, the other three were uh, Andrew McCann, John Toll, and Paddy McKeever. Paddy McKeever. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, uh, that's, the, that's the right 12 to get, I think, for me. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it, lads. Look at, unfortunately. PJ, do you want to do the Kerry team? Oh. <laughs> Before we run out of time. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, we've got to go. <laughs> Dermot Murphy. Uh, Mike McCarthy. Oh. Declan O'Keefe. You- would you write with Mike McCarthy? Mike McCarthy, Seamus Moynihan. Yeah. Um, Tomas would have been there. Griffin? The, no, I don't think so. No, not the sure original the Thomas Sullivan? Mm, I feel like he might have come a bit later. Okay. Or he, God, I can't remember. I have yeah. a terrible memory. <laughs> Tomas O'Shea for sure. Yeah, uh, uh, midfield, Dara. Oh, Dara, and maybe William Kirby. Oh, shout. No. Uh, no, Scannell. Uh, nope. No, too early, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> we Daly. don't know the guy we do. Donald Daly. Donald Daly, yes. Um, well, Liam Hassett. Liam Hassett. Yes. McGarrell. Uh, Adon McGarrell, do you? Nope. Oh, Dara. Okaneda. Yep. Gooch. Mike yep. Frank. Yep. That's the full forward line. Hmm. Who else? God. A stalwart at either centre half forward or centre back for many a year. Oh, uh, Brosnan. Yep. Centre half back then was a. Uh, Oh, and, uh, the the uh, the manager Fitzmaurice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're missing. I think you're only missing. You're missing the cornerback. You're missing uh, wing back, and you're missing the wing forward. Cornerback. Yeah. Eamon Bre- was Eamon Breen in there? I think he might have been gone at that no. stage. Gone. And a wing back of. I feel like you can see the wing back. No, I don't know. We better get going. Yeah. Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> no. Okay. You've said him already. Uh, Mark Shea was cornerback. Ah. John Sheehan was wing back. And <laughs> oh, Sean O'Sullivan was wing forward. Okay, yeah. Sean O'Sullivan. Good player. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had Sean O'Sullivan down that early. There you go. There you go. That's uh, unfortunately... It doesn't mean anything anyway because you went out in the semi-finals, but it was a good <laughs> We've performance. We've just been waffling and, for half an hour. Yeah, we will never forget Peach's uh, brilliant answer <laughs> in the Munster final. He really pulled that <laughs> somewhere. It wasn't even the deepest recesses of his brain. I think that's what this would have Who did Cork beat in that match? Tipperary. Cork nice. beat Kerry in like the All or in the Munster quarterfinal, was it? Wow. And then they played each other in the All Ireland semi-final, and, t- and Kerry absolutely hammered them like three. What was it? It was I can't remember off the top of my head. It was like three seventeen to two four or something. Jesus, um, no memory. Yeah, it was Andrew Hammond. That's why Kerry and ended up being such raging hot favourites. Yeah. Um, but there you go, lads. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. If you're not subscribed uh, to the podcast yet, you can do so by searching the build up on Balls of the wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back next week. But until then, mind yourself. <laughs>